Before we get started, we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the fact that this interview was recorded before the global pandemic made its mark on Lawrence. Um, you know, we were kind of debating whether this was even the right time to post this, but you know, we decided that really now more than ever, we really need to be highlighting the stories behind our local businesses. And as everyone knows, restaurants have small margins and they're going to be hit really hard by this whole thing. But there are lots of businesses in Lawrence that are still ready to serve the community with takeout and curbside pickup and delivery options. And for places that aren't able to offer those things, a lot of them have gift cards available for purchase online or over the phone that you can save to then use after this whole thing's over. And we know it's really hard to communicate all that since there's, you know, it's all a bunch of different places and, we, and we've seen some help from, from different people on, in town have been pulling together lists of places that are open and what they're doing. Um, but we're also hoping to prepare a list um, of all these places that we've seen on social media and um, we hope to have that out to you all soon. In happier news, we found out that we are in the top five for podcasts for Best of Lawrence. So thanks so much to everyone who voted for us. Hopefully the winner's bash can still go on as planned in June, but either way, we are super thrilled that we did better than last year. Mission accomplished. So thanks again. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Lawrence Forking, Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen. And today we're interviewing owner Louis Wigan Tacolino from Decade. Today, we're talking with owner Louis Wigan Tacolino from Decade. Louis, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Glad to be here. For any listeners who don't know about Decade, they're located in the Warehouse Arts District, and it's just like a super cool, great coffee shop. But then, I mean, you guys just always are trying something new, too. Like, you've kind of evolved. And, you know, we, we actually, uh, I moved out here right around 2014. So I think, you know, went there early on, and just it's been cool to see the growth over the years, just kind of starting mainly coffee. And then now you've grown to, you know, you have food, you have a full brunch, you know, brunch and lunch menu. Um, so really just just love how you're, you're in, in the kind of that spot right there, right on Warehouse Arts District and just kind of quietly beating really great stuff over there. So I, I just really, uh, we, we love it <laughs> in short. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Lawrence? Uh, I grew up in Lawrence. So we moved here when I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And then I went to uh, finish out high school and went to KU for a year and decided I didn't really like book learning. So mm -hmm. I uh, dropped out of that and went, went into the food service industry. So moved around all over the place as a kid and really grew up in Lawrence. So cool. Yes, I tell people I'm from Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Short answer. Yeah, that's quite Formative a bit. years, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit of time. Yeah. So how did you say so, so you got involved in the food industry? So how did you how did you get there? Yeah, like, where'd you start? Yeah. The first job that I had that I really cared about at all was at uh, Henry's downtown. I oh, got cool. a job as a barista. Oh, no. Back at the time, they were open 24 hours, and I had the uh, two in the morning to seven in the morning, three mm -hmm. days a week shift, <laughs> which was awful. But it just gave me a lot of time to like read about it and mm -hmm. practice and steam milk and pull shots and really just fall in love with yeah. uh, espresso and barista yeah. eating in the craft. Um, so yeah, so really I was going through and found some old notebooks and like really I had been working there for like two months when I had started just filling a notebook with my ideas of like how, if when I opened a coffee shop, what that would look like and what I wanted it to be. So cool. that was really where I got the start. That's awesome. How long were you at Henry's? I was at Henry's for almost a year. 
I think maybe like nine or 10 months. Mm-hmm. And that was 10 years before I opened Decade. So oh, that wow. was where the name came from. Like oh, Decade cool. was a project that was in my head for 10 mm-hmm. years from working my first food service job at Henry's to yeah. opening my own coffee shop. Oh, that's awesome. I like that. And so did you end up kind of moving around trying different, different stuff? You know, you do food now too. So do you, did you kind of find a place where you got some food experience or? Had, yeah. Had, so yeah. From from Henry's, went to be a line cook at the old Molly McGee's out on Iowa. And from there, I went to the Merck, where I really mm. learned a lot. I, um, bounced around in there. I was a barista and a baker and uh, went back to the barista and cheese counter and then ran their admin and really learned how to do like the numbers and the mm. budgeting for food service. Yeah. So I worked at the Merck for, I think, four years. I left the Merck to go to 715 mm-hmm. to when they opened and I worked there for almost a year. So I was really part of helping to open and really seeing like the first year and the first evolution of that restaurant, which has really become kind of a cornerstone of Lawrence. So mm-hmm. I feel yeah. pretty proud of having been part of that at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And then, um, and then I left Lawrence for a few years to try to just explore and see what was happening. So yeah, right. so I bounced around Lawrence for quite a while. Yeah. And then you came back and decided, how'd you, how'd you find your spot there? Then? And then came back, yeah. yeah. I was at, living in California at the time on okay. the Bay Area, trying to make a go of it, and just decided that as a food service guy, I didn't want to leave everything I had to like barely scrape by. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really liked the Midwest, so I moved back here to open... Well, I really came to open a restaurant and bakery. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for the space and trying to put together the numbers and the budget, I just found the building that Decade's in now and just fell in love mm-hmm. with the space. Yeah. And it was too small to be a restaurant. It was too small to put in a full kitchen, but it was the perfect size for a coffee shop. So I adjusted mm. I adjusted the vision to really work with the space that I fell in love with. Cool. What was the space beforehand? Any um, idea? It was... I have some idea. It was empty when I first saw it, but it was like over the years, it's about a hundred year old building. Cool. And over the years, it was a recording studio. It was a, like a motorcycle repair shop. Immediately before I was there, Struct Restruct was using it as kind of their, the, the complex as kind of their woodworking hmm. space. Okay. It was apartments. It was abandoned for a long time. So when I opened Decade, I had a lot of people come in and tell me, oh yeah, we used to do punk rock shows here. And, <laughs> We used to do like poetry readings and some parties that got out of hand, heard a bunch of stories from people who were using an abandoned warehouse building in East Lawrence. Some of them can, yeah. Only, yeah, can only imagine the stories there. <laughs> so do you know, I mean, cause I think that was pretty early on. That was pretty early on when, you know, warehouse hearts district at that point didn't really have too much going on there. You know, it was still kind of early years. So did you kind of know that, you know, going into that spot, like this could be grow into kind of what it is now? Or? I really had no idea. Yeah. Like, uh, so polar lofts was open yeah. mm-hmm. and Seedco was open, but it was in their old warehouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lawrence and yeah, and it felt yeah. a lot more like a startup kind of grungy, right. yeah. grungy punk thing. Yeah. Um, there was talk about like, there was, they were starting to talk about doing the Ninth Street Corridor thing, which kind of fell through. There was talk about extending like the Bros Creek Trail, so mm-hmm. putting a bike path right in front of where the building is now, mm-hmm. and that hasn't happened either. So mm-hmm. there were a couple of rumors, but no, really, I had no idea. It was really, I just fell in love with that building and that space oh, yeah. and um, knew it was going to be a destination and figured we could make it work with if we did it right. 
Yeah. Because cool. did you always have too? Like you know, right now you have like a patio area too. Was that always kind of included there, or when you started, it was mainly just your indoors and? We had the wood deck, yeah, wood deck. but it wasn't covered, and we didn't really have any furniture. We okay. started out pretty rough. We yeah. started out pretty bare bones. I was looking back at old photos. When we opened, we were not ready. We didn't have enough chairs. <laughs> we only had like two tables. Um, then, so yeah, so it really just kind of started out as a skeleton that we slowly flushed out over the last, yeah. I think it's been six. It'll be seven years. Wow. No, it'll be six, six years in yeah. May. <laughs> That's, I mean, in a way, I guess that kind of worked out nice too, though, is that, you know, you know you've kind of grown with that Warehouse Arts District mm-hmm. too, or probably even influenced it yeah. too, right? So it's, it's, I guess that kind of worked out well to help, you know, because what's that been like to see the growth too? I imagine you've kind of had to grow with that and kind of figure things out as you went. Yeah, it's been really exciting and it's really allowed us to kind of Mm -hmm. to be there and grow and especially as other restaurants come up to kind of be like the daytime place Mm -hmm. and then people go to Bon Bon or the brewery for the nighttime a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly got in. So, yeah, I feel excited and really, uh, really love the energy that's over there and really love the development that's been happening. Uh, The first year, we were definitely there early, and the first year was kind of really tough and pretty quiet. And we were just, I was just holding on, kind of like white knuckling for the first (laughs) year. But we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of uh, really good energy in the last four. So, yeah, it's great. You have the, you know, Jungle House right there, man. That's been a great. I know we find ourselves there frequently. Well, yeah, if yeah. you're going to go to one, you got to go to the other, you know? So if we're getting Absolutely. coffee, got to go buy a plant. You know, if we're looking at plants, got to buy coffee. They just go together. Well, yeah. 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 Um, and that's one thing also that I love about Decade itself. Even before Jungle House was there, you guys have a ton of plants in your windows, and it just is so, like, cozy and nice in there. Um, is that something that you like to do anyway? Or is it someone, like, on the staff who likes to have plants, and there's lots of local art in there too? No, the plants are definitely my hobby. That's, like... Um, so it was definitely when I was at decade and I was just spending 60 hours a week there and not really spending any time at home, it just became easier to bring the hobbies to work than <laughs> to go home and try to do it afterwards. Um, so it's definitely part of the thing, but that's really my passion and my, uh, or my, yeah, my hobby and my enthusiasm. The art on the walls is not where my attention is going as much. Um, and the space would feel totally different without it, but mm-hmm. that's really uh, been a collaborative effort. In the last couple of years, it's been Kyla Strid, my fiance. She works oh. at the Lawrence Arts Center. Okay, yeah, and she's got, I mean, you have her um, vases and stuff all over Decade. Yeah, yeah. and we use her ceramics, her yeah. vases, and the teacups. And mm-hmm. so she knows a lot of the artists in Lawrence, and she's been um, really coordinating the monthly art shows for us. Kyla's been really busy, so she we're working on transitioning her out of that role, and mm-hmm. one of my staff members, is Trevor, is going to take that over. Mm-hmm. So cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. What about the decor in there? You know, the I, the I think that's pretty unique too. It's just like you know the table, you know, tables and chairs are kind of. I mean, did you did you have a vision of how those would be made? Did you work with a local woodworker artist or? Yeah, we worked with Struct Restruct oh, okay. to uh, to do the build out. So they were there. They were looking for a tenant. Um, that was, I actually sent them an email saying, Hey, I'm looking at this other space. I want to open a restaurant or a restaurant cafe. And I'd love to get a bid from you on doing it. And they said, Oh yeah, we could work with you on a bid, but we have this space (laughs) and we'd really like to put a coffee shop in here. So that was kind of how I found decade. Oh, nice. Um, so I really worked closely with them to do a lot of the design work and a lot of the, uh, like the layout and the workflow, mm-hmm. but then really just trusted them to do the final touches. A lot of that mm-hmm. stuff was really their decisions. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, working with somebody who's really good at what they do, it was really easy to just kind of like step back and let them do what they did best. Okay. So 
a lot of the furniture, the tables, the chairs, the bar, like mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff they did. Uh, mm-hmm. It was they. Uh, uh, a lot of that stuff they crafted themselves. Well, it's, it looks awesome. I love the yeah. Just, I think that really gives. Yeah, it gives a great ambiance, especially for a coffee shop. It's like having the wood and mm-hmm. warm. This feels co- really like cozy. You know, <laughs> cozy. like you could stay there all day. <laughs> um, so speaking of you know coffee, a little bit, where do you source your coffee from? I think I've seen that your beans tend to kind of rotate. So how do you decide like where to get them from and all that? So for our coffee, we definitely try to work with roasters that we have established relationships from. Mm-hmm. So we've changed about four or five times over the few years, but tried to work with somebody for a long time until. Uh, something draws us to someone else. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're using beans from Topeka, which is roasted in Tulsa, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. <laughs> Not Topeka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, we, we fell in love with them. They won a Roaster's Choice Award, so like one of the National Coffee oh. Association Awards uh, a couple of years ago, which is kind of what put them on our radar. Mm-hmm. And so we got some samples and really fell in love with the quality of the product and the consistency is fantastic, which are really important things. Mm -hmm. But what I love about them especially is they are um, kind of, the family has ties to the farmers in El Salvador. And so all of the El Salvadorian coffees, they are, they call it, it's like seed to cup. So it's in the same family from the farmers on the farm, growing the beans, picking them, processing them shipping them to Tulsa to be roasted and then shipped to us. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really important to me um, that the, the, the economics of the coffee business really work for the farmers. Um, I feel like coffee has been such a historically exploitative and really has a Mm -hmm. troubled past of the last 500 years. And um, to, it's not that we can undo that or make up for it in any way, but to try to make sure that the actions that we're taking now and the products that we're using now really are sustain the people who are doing the work mm-hmm. at, at origin is really important to me. And especially as it gets harder with global warming and with mm-hmm. uh, uh, global trade becoming more and more complicated, I feel like if we want to be able to drink good coffee in 10, 15, 20 years, right, right now is when we have to support it so that people feel like it's a sustainable living and they can make an income and they can have a career as coffee farmers. Yeah, no, that's great to you know kind of make it as simple of a supply chain as possible, right? Yeah. You're basically coming pretty much right from the farmer to the roaster and then to your shop. That's pretty yeah. great. Do you work with Topeka um, to kind of create different you know roast or did they kind of just send you different you know this is what we're doing right now or do you yeah, yeah we haven't it's the same kind of thing as working with the artisans who really know what they're yeah. doing mm-hmm. uh, like the roasting is not my strong point so yeah. i just ask them to like do what they do best mm-hmm. we get samples and we try it and we pick our favorites for sure some of them we just happen to like more mm-hmm. than others but it's all uh they're doing what they do best and we're right. proud to serve what we what we like from them cool what's your favorite one that you have right now Right now, I really am enjoying the uh, El Salvadorian on the espresso. So Mm -hmm. our espresso blend is really tasting good at the moment. The um, Colombian on the pour over, the Phoenix 70 pour over, Mm -hmm. is a really delicious cup of coffee in the morning. Mm. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Speaking of, what is your favorite way to brew coffee? You know, if you have to, you know, what's your go-to if you're going to have a cup of coffee, is it? Like if you're just at home or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or does it depend on the coffee? Because it sounds like you like, you know, certain ones. Certainly depends on the coffee. Different brew methods bring Mm -hmm. out different um, 
roast different flavor profiles, mm-hmm. different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy a full-bodied cup of coffee, and so the AeroPress is my personal preference. Yeah. It steeps for a while. It gives it a really good body, really good extraction. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of the consistency of a French press, but mm-hmm. it's nicely filtered, so you don't get that grit at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But lately, I've just been drinking a lot of uh, espresso because it's good. <laughs> so it's, it's easy. Good. Packs, yeah. a, packs a punch. It's yeah. good. <laughs> So espressos or Americanos have been my go-to. Yeah. I think I actually, I think I first learned about the AeroPress from coming to your shop, actually. I remember, because you guys used to sell, or still do, I think, sell, you know, sell them. Sell them, mm-hmm. yeah. So I remember seeing them, like, oh, that's really nice. And yeah, it is a nice way to make it. Just makes a cup and there yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, so in addition to the coffee that you serve, you guys also have, um, you know, different accompaniments for it. You've got house-made syrups and even, am I correct, house-made cashew milk? Yeah, we make yeah. our own cashew milk. Wow. So what um, what made you decide that you wanted to make those things yourself and then serve them as opposed to sourcing from somewhere else and all that? A lot of it came out of kind of an ecological awareness and really long tortured debates where we really pick apart every decision we we're making about whether or not it was the right decision for us and for right. the environment, for the chain. Cashew milk specifically came out of, we when we opened, we were serving almond milk and then there was a big drought in California mm-hmm. and almonds are mm-hmm. huge water, con- water consumers. So they were taking this water intensive product, they were mixing it with water in California mm-hmm. and then shipping it to us and then we had all these a, we're serving California water in our coffee, and B, we had all these plastic containers that we were throwing out. Mm-hmm. So I figured uh, we started looking into trying to fix that and really trying to have less of an impact and try to make our own ca- our own um, non-dairy milk. After a lot of experimentation, we really settled on the cashews as our really pre- preference. It's got mm-hmm. a very neutral flavor. It steams up nicely. Mm-hmm. It's easy to do. We put a little pumpkin seeds in there for some texture, and mm. it's sweetened with dates, and that's all there is to it. And then we were yeah. using local water that's not shipped halfway across the country. <laughs> that's good. That's I mean, cool. So how do you do? You just blend? Is it blending it? Is that mm-hmm. how you make the milk? I've mm-hmm. never, oh, blend it up as powerfully and as fine as we can, and then, um, yeah, that's all there is wow. to it. Wow, that's cool. It. I didn't know that. With that, too, yeah, I mean, your menu your menu is kind of, I mean, you've grown that over the, you know, over the years. You've kind of you know, now you have a full, you know, brunch menu now. So how's that kind of developed over the years? Cause I mean, where do you make all that stuff? That's what I, <laughs> that, that's the magic I want to know is like, what, where is that? Is it downstairs or where, where do you have? So, this? yeah. So we don't have a kitchen, but right. it turns out that people want to eat when they're <laughs> out and drinking. And yeah. especially if they're going to spend a few hours in the space, they mm-hmm. want to get a sandwich and a snack. So made more sense for us to be able to sell those and let them bring something else in. Right. Uh, we make do with an incredibly small like prep space. So in the basement, we've just got a table with a couple of electric induction burners. Um, without a proper kitchen, everything we do is like steamed or boiled and blended. Mm-hmm. And um, really, we I'm really proud of what we and the, the people who work for me are able to do with very limited tools and a very small space. But yeah, that all that's all produced a decade and comes out of the a little prep space in the yeah. basement. I know. We're always impressed. I mean, just everything you're putting out is just like, it's so, it's so good. And it's so, I think like you said, it's refined and it's just like, but yeah, I'm like, where did they do all that? You know, cause yeah, most <laughs> it of the, it just shows up in front It of just you. shows up and you know, you can see, I can see people are just kind of prepping it, but yeah, it must just, the prep work definitely must just be, yeah, yeah. that's key. Right. So, but yeah, so I mean, do you end up changing that menu often or what's your frequency to try to look at changing that up seasonally? I assume. Yeah. Or, yeah. So I really like to cook that decade. Like I like, 
to cook at home. So mm -hmm. it has a lot to do with what we're in the mood for and what mm -hmm. whim catches us. And then seasonality too, like some things, especially if there's something that's great locally, like uh, mm -hmm. we get cherry tomatoes in the summer that are fantastic and we get spinach in the winter that's mm -hmm. really, really tasty. So we, we try to feature those when mm -hmm. they're available. Um, so there's a certain seasonality um, that drives kind of that influences that decision to try to utilize what's available. And sometimes things have to leave when the season's over. Right. Um, but more than that, it's a, a lot of women whimsy, just kind of like what we're in the mood <laughs> for when we get bored with something, it's time to change it. Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of, I mean, you know, with the doing a little smaller prep too, I mean, I guess to a degree you can kind of, I mean, it gives you that flexibility to kind of do what you want and kind of, um, yeah. I mean, like, where do you get your produce from? Is it, you know, are you able, I imagine that allows you to, kind of you can go to do a farmer's market and get stuff or you kind of reach out to farms directly or what's your uh yeah during when things are in season we yeah. really like to work closely with two people mm -hmm. um uh jill over at moon on the meadow yep. is mm -hmm. like half a mile away and yep. she does a great job we get our flowers from her oh. and the spinach in the winter mm. and then emily um who doesn't have a farm name, but her Instagram is Emily Grows. Okay. She grows fantastic cherry tomatoes. We get a lot of sprouts from her and herbs in the summer. So, but um, so we really work intimately with those two producers for a decade, mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of going to farmers markets or mm -hmm. going to checkers and getting whatever's best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, something else that you guys have, and I think I've had even before, like the hot food menu is your baked goods and the you know cabinet up front. Are those all made in house, or do you source some of them from elsewhere? So I'm our pastry baker Makes as sense. well. Yeah. Um, so we don't do that in house. We do it offsite. Mm -hmm. um, which has really been kind of a thrash, which is why we're expanding. So now oh. we can, we keep running out of stuff. We mm -hmm. can't keep up. We're really mm -hmm. limited with our production capacity. So now, which is why we're expanding into open building the new bakery. Along with foods, like often comes drinks too. You guys have a liquor license and the, you know, and the cocktails you, you offer are just, I mean, are awesome too. Kind of what, uh, how'd you come up with that menu? I mean, yeah, what, what inspires that cocktail menu? Um, that's a lot. The cocktail menu is a lot, uh, more of the other people really bringing their passion, energy and contribution. Uh, the decade manager is Cody and he's got a fantastic memory for all the details of the processors and the producers and where it comes from. Mm. He's also got a real enthusiasm for, uh, naturally produced products, um, especially wine. Yeah. So all, mm -hmm. our wine menu is an all natural wine menu. Um, and then a lot of the spirits as well, we're trying to get rid of to the degree that we can with the limitations of what's available in Kansas, we're trying to minimize like the input. So using a lot of whiskeys that when possible, like we know where the grains came from and trying to get rid of a lot of artificial colors and sweeteners and that sort of stuff. And then for the drinks themselves, it's really a lot of like, what do we have and how do we want to serve it? And we try to keep our menu pretty simple so that the spirits that we've put all the energy into picking the right wines mm -hmm. and the right spirits and whatnot, mm -hmm. we want to be able to taste that. So we try to keep a pretty simple menu to let those shine. But it's really Cody has been driving the bar menu a lot. That's awesome because you know it reminds me of a question I was thinking of too. Is you know how how's that been like? You know I think starting your own place. I imagine a cool part of it too is now you had this great vision of what you want to do, and so now you've been working with this team. You got a manager. You got all your staff that works there. And I imagine now you're developing them and they're coming up with ideas. You know, how's that to see it kind of blossom now into more than just what you thought probably it really feels great and <laughs> yeah. it really feels freeing and it was probably the hardest part of this whole process mm -hmm. was letting go mm -hmm. of my specific vision or what i thought we really wanted to do mm -hmm. um 
So over the years, I think I'm a lot better now at it than I was. But like, so when I opened, I had a really tight, narrow focus of here's who I am and here's what decade is and here's what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But then when you find people who are more talented than you or more interested in specific things in order to give them room to grow, you got to be able to step back and say, okay, this isn't my vision. Now this is our vision. It was and continues to be a very hard thing to figure out where that line is. It's the, it's yeah. my, it's my biggest challenge right now, but it's also the most rewarding. Cause then we've got a whole menu that, uh, yeah. I wouldn't have come up with like our cocktail menu. I wouldn't have come up with that and it's all great. So, mm-hmm. um, something else I just wanted to touch on briefly because they're so cool are your mugs like for coffee. I love the color. I love how they feel. I like that you can just kind of like grip it with your hands and it's just like really warm. So are they made by someone locally and what kind of went into picking like, like certain designs for certain drinks? Uh, the coffee cups and the like, the espresso and latte bowls were all made by Michael Crouch, who's a local artisan. He lives over in North Lawrence. Uh, you might know him as well. He makes all of the plates and platters for, well, I guess they used to be Hank Charcuterie, but I think right. they're using mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff at Fox and Pearl yeah. in Kansas City now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so he was just... When Decade started, he was also getting started as a wood-firing potter, and so it was really exciting to work with him to kind of design our own shape and style mm-hmm. and size and um, figure out how that goes. So, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Decade was really all about finding great artisans mm-hmm. and giving, working with them to let them do the best that they can. So yeah, it's that's awesome. Fun. That's so Lawrence. I think that's <laughs> yeah. why I like it so much. I don't know. That's great. Um, and again, you know, speaking of something that's just so Lawrence, I mean, Final Fridays, I feel like Decade has always sort of been part of it, you know, with like the art on the walls that we talked about, they have sort of rotating, um, you know, exhibits. So, and in general, it seems like you always have a lot going on, whether it's art or sometimes, um, I think there've been like concerts. We went to a concert at Jungle House before it was Jungle House. And I think you've had like maybe poetry readings too. And you've had other sort of, you know, community events over the years. So where did those things come from and why is that important to you? Most of that was really all about the people in the community coming to us and saying, hey, we love this space. Can we use it for this mm-hmm. other thing? And as much as I'm able to, I really love to be able to say yes to that because it's, yeah, it just brings people in. It makes a little bit more different and mm-hmm. brings in a diverse audience. And I love, it's kind of that part of it not being my vision, but really allowing the community to say, hey, this looks like a great space for this thing that we want to do. Yeah. Um, Final Friday has been great. I think part of being early uh, early into the arts district, we were kind of one of the first food service places. So mm-hmm. on final Friday, people would walk up and down mass mm-hmm. and then they'd come to walk around East Lawrence and mm-hmm. then they'd end up at decade for a drink because mm-hmm. that was the end of the tour. So, yeah. Yeah. And kind of going with that, you know, especially on a nice summer night. So when did you end up developing the, the patio a little bit more covering it and, you know, building that up more? Yeah. Uh, when the, when we opened the recyclery, the bike, bike shop Uh, used mm -hmm. to be next door and so we kind of had a little bit more of a split between us so we had the wood patio and they had the concrete portion down below okay uh Um. when they moved out we just expanded (laughs) (laughs) spread out more tables strung up some lights and really started to use that space a lot more um and then when jungle house moved in we were really kind of talking about where to draw that line and they said no 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 it's great we're just going to throw up in the garage door um we'll put some plants out on the patio patio but really like intermingling the two has been a really nice combination for us and for the customers yeah all right yeah um so we have some audience questions we uh that uh people got back to us on so uh one question was uh you know you make your own chai 
Um, so they were wondering, how do you develop the flavors and how'd you get started with that? That was one of the, my passion projects that was in October. I think the first year we were opened, October rolled around and it was getting kind of cold and gray and clammy and I was making chai at home and I figured, oh, I should bring this in. I bet other people are going to want it. Um, so we've really probably for year and a half, like every time we made it, or maybe not every time, but every other time we would make some little tweaks and some little adjustments. I really believe in uh, kind of an iterative process. So every time we make something, we really try see experiment with small adjustments and small changes and really try to get it as good as we can. So that was how, so the chai that we serve now is one that really took a year and a half to perfect and work out the recipe and add oh. some spices and adjust the blend and the ratios and get that process going. And now I think we have something that's really uh, unique to us and really special. Yeah, that's great. It's just the right amount of sweet, but also like plenty of spices. It's really good. So it was really important to me to make my own because a lot of the, a lot of the commercial ones are not spicy enough and mm -hmm. they're too sweet. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, I wanted uh, not as sweet, but pretty spicy, pretty mm. spice forward, lots of ginger and pepper yeah. chai. So how do you how do you make chai? I guess I don't even know what that process is. It's a uh, black tea and yeah. a bunch of spices. Yeah. Um, nutmeg, allspice, clove, black yeah. pepper, you name it. Yeah. Cardamom. They're just all combined together. Or do you actually? So it's all combined together. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like steeping tea. We put them all in different bags okay. and then uh, add hot water to it and let it steep for a while. We'd steep ours overnight in the cooler and then uh, strain it and sweeten it the next morning. You get a very different flavor profile. Traditionally, you'd just make it in the milk, but because we had this, because we had our cashew milk and we really wanted to be able to do the cashew chai, the vegan chai easily, mm -hmm. we make it a concentrate just with water and the sugar to make it a chai concentrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you're doing it at home, if you just put it in the milk on the stove, you get kind of a richer, deeper flavor. Another audience question was, and maybe we've, you know, we obviously have sort of touched on this already, but if there's anything more you want to say, um, it's how do you do your pastry production currently and what is your culinary background? I don't really have a culinary background other than working in lots of different places. And I guess self-taught is the way to phrase it. So yeah. finding great books and picking out recipes yeah. and baking them up and trying them out so yeah how much do you rely on? i know it's kind of always a balance of like how much do you read up in the books versus yeah just trying it out and see what <laughs> sticks right you know because I mean? you can read all you want but you got to be able to make it right but yeah you got to start <laughs> so it's hard I, like the photos are very inspirational so often a lot of it is flipping through a cookbook finding mm -hmm. one that looks good and then mm -hmm. figuring out how to make that at some point you have to accept that that feels like there's nothing new under the sun and everything's mm -hmm. been done before mm -hmm. So again, that iterative process, so I'll make something three or four times and then try to tweak it or adjust it and mm -hmm. refine it until I feel like, okay, this isn't what was photoed in the book, but now it's my own and I can serve it. And mm -hmm. usually those adjustments are pretty small. There's only so many ways you can make a lemon cake differently or <laughs> right. change the flavors in a coffee cake to right. feel like it's your coffee cake. Right. Do you lean any, you know, with culinary like decisions and all that? Do you kind of say, oh, I tend to like to go, you know, veggie heavy? Do you like to, you know, because like, I mean, your menu does have a lot of that, but obviously some of that's probably due to the, what you can prep on. But, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, but yeah, I notice you have some like, you know, more maybe Asian inspired type stuff. Is that, that kind of the way you, you like to cook or? Yeah, yeah, the rice bowl specifically mm -hmm. is out of my background. When I was a kid, I grew up in Thailand. Well, I didn't grow up. When I was a kid, I lived in Thailand for about four years. Okay. So I really fell in love with that coconut sticky rice. Yeah. 
Um, and so that was kind of where that came from. Again, like the chai, I was just craving it one day and made it and started serving it and people fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, generally in terms of the cooking philosophy, I don't eat a lot of meat, mm-hmm. I, but I eat some. So I try to cook with a lot of vegetables and mm-hmm. we, and then we wanted to have a menu that anybody could really approach and find something that was great on it without having to ask for a bunch of modifiers and mm-hmm. made to feel like they were putting us out or like we had, right. like they needed special treatment. So we tried to get some vegetarian stuff, some vegan stuff, some gluten-free stuff. So with a menu of only eight things, probably anybody can order two of them is really what we're going yeah. for. Well, it's nice too. A lot of yours have like, you know, add an egg, you know, so it's easy enough, you know, add an egg if you want to do that. Otherwise, if you don't want an egg, yeah, it's still great. <laughs> but Vegan if you don't get it and if you right. want an egg, then it's great. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, we don't hardly do any meat because we don't have a kitchen. Right. Can't yeah, you can't cook a lot of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Um, and so the other question we had that we did want to get to as well, um, you know, from the audience was, um, you know, they asked if you had any new and exciting projects going on and we know you, you do have a big one going yeah, on. We've got a really big project. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> let's talk about it a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's the cellar door cafe, right? So, yeah, so we've been working at decade. It's been six years of doing everything we can and putting as much energy into a place with a limited kitchen, a limited prep space and really having a great time. And the community response has been so fantastic that we're able to take this next stage of growth. Mm-hmm. So we're opening the Celador Cafe in a beautifully renovated building. Um, you might know it because the Mass Street Soda is in there and Silas and Maddie's is in there. And okay. we're going to be right around the corner from Silas and Maddie's. Um, some, awesome. re- some really great neighbors. The goal is for decade to stay decade. And mm-hmm. so as a customer of decade, you pro- probably won't notice much of a change, much of a shift. Um, we're certainly not going to take a bunch of stuff away or really that's, we're not opening a bigger, better decade. We're opening a different thing. Right. Um, it's got a full kitchen. It's got a full bakery. We're going to be able to do a whole bunch of a nice pastry counter and a full menu of, uh, quiche and salads. The thing that I'm most excited about because mm. quiche is one thing that I just have not been able to do at mm-hmm. decade. So haven't made a good quiche in six years. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's going to be opening here at the end of March if everything goes mm-hmm. in, pl- falls in line enough mm-hmm. that we can get it going. Yeah. Wow. That's so exciting. And yeah. what's the address of it again? I know you said it's, you know, yeah. the corner of 11th and Mass. So that's going to be at uh, 7 West 11th Street. Okay. And is it, is it the, is the space, is it above ground or a cellar door or is it underground? Is it? Um, no, the space is above ground. The bakery's okay. in the basement. Okay. The yeah. cellar door is one. When I originally wanted to open a business, mm-hmm. I wanted to open the cellar door, which was going to be oh. because what I really love about it is the cellar really connotes all the things that go into the cellar and are cared for and then brought up for special occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd like your wine cellar, your cheese cellar, or your root cellar. Mm-hmm. So you pull these things up out of storage to mm-hmm. celebrate special occasions or when the family comes over mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, so that was really the inspiration. The name didn't work for decade because we weren't, again, we didn't have the kitchen. We weren't going to be doing all these cellar right. cheeses and salamis and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to be able to take that and open right. this space up. Nice. And did you say earlier you're going to also use that space then now? It can help kind of supplement, you know, for the pastries and stuff for a decade probably. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be, um, in addition to the cafe that the public's going to come into, mm-hmm. we're going to use it basically as a uh, wholesale 
production. Mm -hmm. So it's going to start doing a lot of the prep that's been happening a decade is going to come out of here because we'll have the full kitchen to make it all. Yeah, that'll awesome. be, that'll be yeah. awesome. And we'll be able to keep up. So hopefully. <laughs> More tea cakes. The change, yeah. yeah, the change you will see at Decade is you're not going to come in and find an empty pastry case because yeah. we had a busy weekend. We'll be able to keep up with stuff like that. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we can't wait. Other than that, one other question we have was, um, you know, we always like to ask it too. You know, when you're not at Decade and all that, where else do you like to eat in Lawrence? What's your, what's kind of your go-tos when you're... Yeah, the... Uh, um. Where, where do I go? I go to the Thai Diner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, right on so 23rd. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So my favorite go-to is probably the Thai Diner on mm-hmm. 23rd. It's like right around the corner from my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, their web... <laughs> Kyle, my uh, partner, Kyla, and I joke about how... I think their website's been down for two years. <laughs> and we... So it's really hard trying to figure out their menu. And yep. we kind of want to give them a hard time every time we go <laughs> in and say, Hey, like, it's... We're having a hard time ordering, but... They're always busy. They're always awake. Like wow. it's obviously not affecting anyone else, and we're always there as well. So yeah, the green curry at Thai Diner is my mm. favorite on oh, a night off. Oh, that sounds good. Do you find yourself with you know doing all that work? And do you end up cooking at home much, or do you do you tend to get out and all that? I really don't. Maybe <laughs> twice a month, I'll make a make a big dish of something to try right. to get us through the week. Yeah, but no, I leave a lot of that energy at decade mm-hmm. understandable yeah. well thanks again to lewis for talking with us today decade is located at 920 delaware street in the warehouse arts district right next to jungle house goods yeah thanks for having me on the podcast thanks so much for joining us for this episode of lawrence forking kansas we had a great time chatting with owner lewis wiggin tacolino of decade if you're interested in supporting what we're doing we have created a patreon page where you can do just that uh, we really like the patreon platform we think it's a really cool opportunity it allows us to provide some perks for the support that you give us Um, but you know, if you can't donate monetarily, um, really just helps a lot for you to spread the word, um, whether sharing our posts on Instagram or Facebook or even Twitter. Um, and then, you know, just letting your friends and family know that, Hey, this is a cool podcast. Check it out. Um, so we'd really appreciate that. Um, and really we're just happy that we get to create this and share, uh, share the Lawrence food scene with people that are just as passionate as we are. Something else that you can do to help spread the word about our podcast is to um, subscribe and give us a rating. So that way it you know shows up in search results for other people. Um, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Um, so feel free to find our pages, you know, like us, follow us, share our posts, um, all that fun stuff. And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner in town and you're interested in coming on the show, please just reach out on social media or you can send us an email at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are actively looking for people to interview for this summer um, you know, of 2020, so we would love to have you on the show. Just reach out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.